Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And Isaiah 55, ho! You gotta love a reading (laughs) that starts off ho. I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess the word ho was not, did not have the same meaning as it does now. Um, Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, not where I was going. I wasn't going ho in the Santa Claus sense either. Come on, Chad, where was your thought? (laughs) So, like, I really wonder... (laughs) So so, so I'm still, in so many ways, that 12-year-old boy that, you know, poop jokes are funny and, like... Toilet humor. Toilet humor and and the word ho. (laughs) Now, again, to be fair, other translations do not use the word ho. I have no... When was the NRSV... That was the NRSV. I know. When was the NRSV translated? When? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can I, Google that. I, so, like, so, like, I know the message, which is a, ver- which is a modern translation, is relatively new. Um, I want to say 89. They did not use the word ho. Because all the copyrights are 1989. Oh, there you go. The NIV... Did not use the word ho. Hey was one of them. <laughs> hey. Um, hey. Hey, you guys. But not ho. <laughs> anyway, you got to love a reading that starts off with the word ho. However, the word ho is a way to get your attention. It is not directed towards one person or group of people. Um, Especially not in this particular context. Not in this context. Yeah. Ho, um, everyone who thirsts. Yes. Yes. So. Man. <laughs> so th- this is a um, this is kind of a a good reading from the standpoint of I mean it's all about um, having the the abundance that God provides. Yeah. Um, Everyone who thirsts, people who don't have money, guess what? You can come and buy and eat, which I'm not sure how you buy if you don't have money, but you know. I thought that was kind of an interesting choice too. Yeah, yeah. Because for, when I read, like when I heard it and didn't read it, so heard it, didn't hear the words, come by as in stop by and eat. Like an invitation to stop by and eat, but it's not as B-U-Y, right. which again, I'm like, did y'all just like mistranslate that? Was it supposed to be B-Y? Like, come on by and eat and drink. Um, I also found it rather funny that, you know, those necessities listed, wine is one of them. I mean, I can't argue. Come by and eat. <laughs> Buy wine. Yes. Wine. The, the, well, the most important of all drinks. Wine. And, but I actually, I think part of that is not that it's a necessity. I think in this particular case, it's giving you both necessity and things that are maybe a little nicer, although uh, admittedly in the ancient world, I think wine was a little more necessary than it is today from the standpoint of you didn't have um, clean drinking water and things like that. So they tended to drink wine. Don't tell my safer. wife that wine is not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, necessarily even the point is that that is a basic necessity. Because right. it's interesting... Um, because I know you always love it whenever I, um, every single week, reference Revelation. Ding! (laughs) 
But in there, what if we donated a dollar every time? I no, hell there. with that. What if you donated a dollar every time you said Revelation? <laughs> Good Lord, we could. We I think we could solve homelessness and hunger in one shot. My point being, go ahead. Uh, when they are talking in in Revelation about um, inflation, part of what they're talking, you know, they they go after you can't buy just your basic necessities like bread because. It has the the uh, price has skyrocketed to the point that no one can really afford it. It's like you have to pay an entire day's wage just for a loaf of bread. And then it says, "But don't touch the wine or the olive oil," which you're kind of you know initially you're kind of like, "Well, that's weird." But part of that is you can make a lot of good dishes with some olive oil and wine. Well, I'm just saying. But the point is, is those were luxury items. And right. it was one of those, well, if you weren't able to afford the bread, you weren't going to be able to afford the wine and um, the olive oil anyway. So what did it really matter what that cost? Because that was going to be out of your... Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, olive oil was a very precious commodity, correct? Yes. Like, so it like very... super expensive. Well, it, it's exp- It's because I don't not know that if it's cheap ever... now, but I was going to say I don't know if you've ever seen how um, it actually gets made. I mean, it's it's yeah. You take the stone. bottle, you unscrew the cap, and you pour it in. <laughs> ha! Olive oil. There you go. Uh, no, when we were in Israel, actually, we got to see the millstone kind of thing. The the, uh, the it's not an easy process. No, where you got to. Squeeze out the oil with the two, you know, with the big stone, and then you're it, juicing the olives. Yes, yes. So I mean, it's not not the easiest process in the world. And then you know, you have you have good olive oil and not so good olive oil. And yeah, I don't think I like olives. Okay, but I like olive oil. That's fair. I mean, I, I don't like any. I don't like tomatoes, but I love everything the tomato yeah. makes. Yeah, interesting. So luxuries, olive yes. oil, luxuries. So anyway, um, I, at least the way I look at it is, yes, it's a, you know, there, there's the basic necessity, come eat and, and whatever, but there's also some luxury stuff thrown in. So this, so this is really interesting. Um, when we were on, when I was on internship, when we were on internship, um, internship stipend is um, uh, meager. To say, to the, say least. the least, yes. Yes. That's, that's, that's a um, kind word for it. You can kind of get by. Well, I went on internship with myself and Christina <laughs> and Camden, and then Anna Mae arrived. We knew she was coming because, you know, the whole nine months thing. We knew she was coming, and it was not easy... Um, to get by on internship stipend and, and everything yeah. else. And, you know, wife who just give, just given birth. So, you know, working was not really a thing for her. So, I mean, that was what we were living off of. So at that point, we... That's impressive. We were on... So we were on food stamps. And I remember going... Um, I don't remember what... I don't know if it was a birthday or something. I remember going to the grocery store. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy steaks. Oh my God, I felt like, like every bad stereotype, welfare is abused and peop- the people in welfare are eating better than I am and blah, 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 blah. Well, that ain't true. Um, or the people in food stamps are eating better than I am. I, I mean, it was, it was really, really hard. 
And I, so I felt this overwhelming sense of guilt for that, that one time buying splurge. that splurge buying steaks. And I don't know if it was true, but I felt like everybody was just staring me down. Like, man, you're on, you're on food stamps and you're eating steak. And I got like hamburger. And I felt, so, so I mean, there, there's something in this text that you know, even when you're, you know, so the Israelites are coming back and, and let's just say Publix was not stocked. No, uh, um, no, no. I mean, it, the, 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 the city was very much um, in shambles still. The infrastructure was not rebuilt. And well, they took away all the people that would have done any yep. of that. I mean, yep. there, were st- there were people there. So let's, let's be clear. There right. were people that were left. Depending on which account you read, um, one of the accounts says the only people that were left were the, quote, the poorest of the poor. Um, and, you know, the likelihood of that that's true is probably, I mean... My guess is that there were other people that were were left as well, but they probably didn't have a lot of motivation, skill, or desire to try and rebuild the the city over those right. those seventy years. Yeah. That and so yeah, there were people there. There yeah. was stuff there, but it was not exactly thriving. The infrastructure was not rebuilt. It was still a little. Uh, it was a fixer upper, as I said. Yeah. Um, so it, it's 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 really interesting in this in this setting, where you think, oh, well, they only deserve to have their basic needs met, right? Mm-hmm. Just the, give them the bread, give them the water, and they're good. And God says, no, no, no. You have some wine. You have some olive oil. I mean, look at I read an article the other day. Um, and it was, it was an interview with someone who runs like a food pantry or a food bank. And they said, you know, what items do you need? And like, yeah, we get, we get lots of rice and we get this. I said, but you know. Peanut butter, man. Peanut butter. Um, but you know, even things like, you know, some of the side dishes that, that end up in food pantries re- require like oil. Mm. Well, most people, like, like, olive oil is expensive. Yep. That doesn't show up at the food pantry, but it shows up as a huge need Okay, I'm going to start people. donating olive oil now. That I, 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 mean, I mean, not so, have thought of that. So, so, so. Pub, so Publix, Publix, Publix down here in Florida does buy one, get one, and olive oil is, is pretty frequently um, on, on buy one, get one. And when it is, I, I stock up because, again... I mean, I don't know about you, but I use olive oil for cooking, you know, multiple times a week. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, just thought, I, I thought it was really interesting. You know, both that, you know, we don't think, you know, when we donate to the food pantry, and again, I'm guilty too, way too often. We go in, you dive into the class and go, man, this, this, this can of soup has been here for a while, or this, this fruit has been here for a while, or yeah, I don't need these baked beans, mm-hmm. or, well, you know, I, I get... And, and not, that, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, the variety that you get you know, going through a, a food pantry um, is sometimes very minimal. And it goes back to that dignity piece mm-hmm. um, and that esteem piece that I think... I'm going to give them all my creamed corn because I don't like creamed corn. And yeah. Well, if you don't like creamed corn, guess what? <laughs> right. I mean, maybe there are people out there that like creamed corn. So I actually I know, do. But... I love creamed corn. Oh, and creamed corn mixed with cornbread, 
like the cornbread mix, makes a really good like cornbread or corn casserole dish. It's really good. You say so. It is. It's really good. Anyway, because then it's not really in cream corn form. It's more of like a cornbreadish type form. Yes, I'm. Uh, yeah, the the corn husker in me is is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we I get we, it. We like our fresh corn. Picky, <laughs> picky corn snob. Picky corn snob. Um, so I, I, I think that 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 beginning piece in this text from Isaiah really opens itself up um, to this idea of of what abundant life is, right? Yeah, and you went down some fun rabbit holes. I went that. down some really crazy fun rabbit holes. Um, Trying and so, to figure out what abundant life right. means. Right, so what is, you know, what is abundant life? And, and I think maybe you know, in, in terms of this, the conversation we're having now, I think the conversation also, from a society standpoint, you know, can be reframed as who deserves abundant life, right? And I didn't go there this Sunday. Um, or my sermon would have been really long. Um, but I mean, I, I think sometimes we put parameters on who deserves abundant life. And we go, oh, well. The smart people, the, you know. The, right, the, you're the, smart, or you work super hard, or whatever. And you know, what about the, per so here, here's a really maybe controversial example. I don't know. Someone who is a convicted felon. Do they deserve controversial? Do they deserve abundant life? And like, no, they committed their crime. Okay, yeah, right. Oh wait, um, here's in this for he will abundantly pardon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I mean, our society, our society is is so, once you get in the system, the criminal justice system, it is. It's like, oh, you. I'm sorry, you're you're convicted. Oh, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. Yeah, that, that and becomes then, the... And, yeah. and then you put him on parole and all these things like, well, you have to be... You, you can only work from this time to this time. It's like, well, wait a minute. I, I, I can't. Right. It, it's, it, they're, they're, you get stuck in that cycle. Well, and, and, and the system is designed to, to try and make you fail. I mean, that's, that's the sad reality. It, it's, it's designed it's, to make money so it, can self, so it becomes a self-perpetuating self system where once you're in, it's really hard right. to get it's, out the other end. So you end up back in and it just keeps... We shouldn't be getting wealthy off of imprisoning people. No. Uh, and, and I have, strangely enough, a, a rather um, personal yep. look at this. Um, I, my my ex-husband wound up a little bit afoul of the law. Yep. And trust me, he deserves everything that he, he, he got, whatever. But at the same time, I also recognized that the system was designed for him to fail. Um, especially given his personality and, and things like that, where it was, it was designed for him to not be able to really fulfill what he needed to fulfill. Didn't help that, you know, he constantly was like, well, they have no right to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, um, actually they do. <laughs> um, according to our, our rules and our laws, they actually do have a right to do what they're doing. Um, and you balking against this isn't going to help you any. It's only going to make things worse. Right. But when you, you look at the, the system in terms of if you wind up with a felony and you, first of all, you're dealing with um, institutionalization of some sort, if you've been in there for any length of time. Yep. Um, you have been in a system where this is how your life is and people don't do well when they come out of an institutionalized system like that and then have to suddenly figure out 
how do I care for myself when everything has been regulated, everything has been um, basically taken care of, and now you've got to figure this out, and, and we, you have to fulfill, you have to do it within parameters that aren't realistic in the real world. And we send you out with nothing. Yeah, we send you out with absolutely like, nothing. You don't make any money while you're in there. And in fact, yeah. it costs you money yep. if you want anything beyond, again, the very, very basics. They'll, they'll, they'll give you nasty food. If you want something better than that, somebody on the outside has to put money into your account. Well, and here, here in Florida, um, our, our, our um, prison system essentially operates as slave labor. Yes, um, so yeah, you can and go most work. prison systems do. You can go work on the crew and essentially not get paid for it. Yeah, they're paying you what, 50, you know, 50 cents a day, maybe something higher than that. I don't know, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not. Minimal. It's yeah, minimal. Yeah, at max, it's like $2. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it, it's a, it, it is, it's a, it's a system that is designed to strip you of dignity. It's a system that is designed to punish um, and unfortunately, it keeps punishing even after you're no longer serving your sentence. Yeah. Um, it, you know, once you've fulfilled, quote, your debt to society. And the problem here also is once you get out, then you have all these fines and fees and things like that that you maybe haven't paid. And so that continues to be... An anchor that an, just... Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it is a really, really difficult... Uh, situation in terms of trying to get out. Um, and there are, like I said, um, you know, I, I can look at, say, my, my ex-husband and say, yes, he absolutely deserved what he got. And in fact, he probably deserved more than what he actually wound up with um, in terms of a sentence and, and that kind of thing. But at the same time, not everybody who goes to prison has the personality disorders or the you know those kinds of things isn't isn't sociopathic, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of times it's it's you've made a mistake, you yeah. know, and and some of those mistakes are you know mistakes out of necessity, right? Like I had minimal options for actually providing for my family, so I sold drugs. Again, not to condone selling drugs, but I mean, let's be honest. In, in some in some cases, your options. Yeah. Are I have bills to pay. And really, really, really limited. Yeah, and a lot of people turn to illegal methods for getting money to pay bills, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, it's not a good system. And at some point in time, and I'm not sure really how we're going down this path, but at some point in It's time, a rabbit hole. It, is. it just proves my point there's, that abundant life is a, is yeah. a huge rabbit I mean, hole. At some point in time, we need to turn, though, from it being solely punitive to restorative. Right. And we need to look at what restorative justice looks like and saying, yes, okay, um, you did bad things, but we still want to somehow make it so that you can survive in society when you're put back into society. So this isn't just about punishment, right. but it's about how do we actually restore these people to community. And I, Jesus might have been all about restoration and restoring people on the margins and on the outside and, and yep. things like that. Of And, and believe it or not, yes, um, people who have gone to prison are marginalized in Absolutely. many, many ways. And usually their marginalization is part of what made them 
um, wind up where they're at. Put them there to, to begin some, with. Yeah, yeah. In, in some cases. Not all cases, so but th- in some cases. I read an article, this was, this was a while ago, on a prison in Norway. And essentially, it is all about restorative justice and equipping people to not come back. I mean, what a novel idea. Yeah. Um, Don't be a repeat offender. You know, it, it, so it's life skills, it's job training, it's, it's you know, addiction counseling, if, that, if that's an issue, you know, whatever, whatever financial, you know, they, they basically, I don't want to say it's like a, it's like a school because that's not, that's not really what it is. But I mean, they really, their goal is not to spit people back out, to land them back in. It's really to put, set them on a course that they don't come back and give them the skills um, and whatever treatment they need to not come I'm back. I'm going to also guess that Norway does not have a for-profit prison system. I was going to say, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, so <laughs> my guess is not. I don't know if Norway has a for-profit prison system. My guess would be no. And I also do not know, um, I know the recidivism rate is really low, but I also don't know like how prejudice the society is towards people who were incarcerated right. like like again in our in our in our country you fill the job application there's a box to check yep have you ever been convicted yep and if you check that box what are the chances you're getting a call yeah you know so i don't check the box okay well then you do a background check when i lied on your application which yeah, it's a no-win situation that probably isn't good either it's a no-win situation. Uh, so it's like i mean i mean really i mean honestly your option is you know to to not check the box and and hope, chances. and hope that they don't actually do any checking. Yeah. Well, and, and I, it's... I, I don't know. And I think um, within the Isaiah text, it's very interesting, too, where you get this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Um, but man, we struggle with that one. Yeah. And, and that, that's a whole separate rabbit hole that just gets you in trouble, right? <laughs> because, because that is really saying, listen, like... I know y'all think you know you're doing my stuff, but I think you might need to go back and read again because yeah. you're not. Um, well, and that's, that's to me a humility piece in terms of humanity of having to, we, we need to be humble enough to go, okay, we don't always get it. We don't always see the bigger picture. We don't always, you know, we think we've got things figured out and God's like, look, your thoughts, not my thoughts. I, I operate differently than you do. Yeah. And, and that's, that's hard because, you know, for those of us who, who really kind of want to conform ourselves to, to the way that God wants us to live, the question always then becomes, well, wait a minute. So if God's thoughts are not my thoughts, you know, am I doing it right? Am I, you know, and there's where the grace element has to come well, I th- in. I think, I think if... I think part of it is, are we willing to ask that, even ask that question, yeah. right? Am, am I in alignment here? Yeah. <laughs> am I doing it right? You know, I, and I think we talked about this a lot in this podcast, you know, the, the ability or lack of ability to self-reflect. And I think that, you know, this is one of those areas, you know, are we able to st- take a step back and go, am I doing God's work? Or am I doing what I was doing it my my agenda. slant on God's work? Yeah, is so, this my I, agenda or is this God's agenda? Am I doing God's work or am I doing God's workish? <laughs> um, well, and 
And let's face it, we're never going to escape the fact that our own thoughts, our own desires, our own things are going to get in involved. Now, the flip side of that is I can absolutely say I have been changed. So whatever my right. thoughts, my ways were a decade ago, they're very different than they are now. And I Same. attribute that to, to the way in which scripture and the spirit have worked on me and have have changed me yeah now the question you know of course then then becomes well are you still on the right path or are you you know or is this just a shifting and, and that's always a struggle for me as well as i'm like okay is this really you know so what, I, what's what's you know yeah what is being asked what is being desired or am i just focusing on something different um and you know, going down, going down my own kind of rabbit hole of yep. this is, this is the way in which um, now I see how I'm supposed to be living, and in another ten years, it, well, it might be different. So, so I am not a boat person, right? I don't own a boat. I've never sailed. I don't know that I understand the concept of trying to navigate without roads, right? Like, like I get on this using road and stars, your using guide. the stars or you know GPS, whatever. So. <laughs> So if, if, if you're at point A and you're trying to get to point B and point B is, say, where, you know, alignment with God, right? And you set off and you're in alignment. Well, then, like, there's currents and winds that kind of blow you maybe off course. And, and I think those winds and currents are, you know, society and culture and all of those, you know, our own personal interests and you know, are we able, are we able to readjust our course based on the prevailing winds and the currents, and go okay? You know, not to say that we're always going to be you know straight line point A to point B. Nobody is like we're not. But can we can we move from point A towards point B and stay as on track as possible in spite of the currents and prevailing winds that may blow us off course? Because they're going to. They're going to. But are we able to look and go, you know what? Right now, I'm not heading towards point B. I'm headed point, towards point like Z. How do I get pointed back to point B? And you readjust. And, you know, you talked about it, and we both talked about it. You know, seminary was one of those things where, you know, I, I wasn't as, as headed towards point B as I thought I was. Um, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I had, I had to, you know, you know, check my stuff, so to speak, and go, oh, wait a minute. Like, um, I, need to re I need to reconsider my position on and this. And the interesting thing is that it, and it didn't have anything to do with whether or not you knew Scripture. Um, I, I, when at Luther, you had to take what was called a Bible proficiency exam. Oh, a what? Bible proficiency okay. exam. And you had to do it by the end of your first year. Well, I took it my first two weeks, and I got 100. I knew my Bible. Yeah, no kidding. I, 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 you know, it was, everybody was kind of like, oh, you know, maybe at the end of the semester you might get that, that hundred, but, you know, to have gone in and just boom, you know, took it. I knew my scripture. I knew, um, but I'm going to go out on that limb and say, I didn't understand. Yes. A lot of what I thought I knew. Yes. Let's <laughs> put it that way. Yes, that's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. It's one thing, and, and so, and this is, I had this conversation this week with someone, I don't know who it was, um, 
with confirmation. You know, I really, I'm going to probably get crap for this. I really don't care if someone can spit stuff back to me. I don't care if, they, if, they, if our confirmation kids know the order of the Bible, the books in the Bible. Oh, that's all kind of made up anyway. And, and I know, but, you know, and I don't, I don't, they're, they're going to learn the Lord's Prayer. And they're going to, just because we do it every week, they're going to learn the, te- but if you can't apply any of that crap, it doesn't matter at all. Right. It doesn't matter. Like, and, I, and I, I've literally said this to them, listen, if, if, you're, if you're sitting here in confirmation and you're going, oh yeah, Pastor Chad, this says this, and then you go to school and you're bullying the fat kid or the smelly kid, that, then why are we even here? Like, if you can't take this stuff from the pages of Scripture, from the sanctuary, to your school, to your home, to your job, to your career, to your whatever, to your relationships, what's the point? Like, being able to memorize Scripture and tell me that, you know, on the third day God created blah, 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 who cares? Who cares? What does it all mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for your relationships? And how does it transform your life? Memorization doesn't transform your life. Like memorizing, you know, Bible nerding out and getting 100% the day you walk into seminary doesn't transform your life. No. But, t- but digging deeper... But it's a step. It is. It's a step. It's, a, it's step. a step. And it's like, okay, so I know this stuff. Now what does it mean? How do I apply it? How does it work? And you go, oh, wait a minute. I thought it was this. It's actually more way more complex or yeah. way more complex yeah. and complicated yeah. and that's yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that um was one of the best things that came out of seminary for me was to recognize at all the different levels at which any passage of scripture is operating and mm. that there are yeah. so many ways in which so um i put together a discipleship kind of video series called Pathways that we're kind of working on with small groups. We've got a couple small groups right now that are kind of starting out on it. And one of the things I do is I break down all the different ways you can do a Bible study. And, and, and so each, you know, for the Bible segment is each week they learn a different way in which to, to approach Bible study because there isn't just one particular, you know, well, I'm looking at it historically. Well, okay, that's good. I'm also going to look at it um, as literature and, and recognize that, that it's a form of literature, you know, and, and the way in which Stephen King might write this story and the way William Shakespeare is going to write this story might be vastly different. Shakespeare might use the word hoe. He, he very definitely might use the word hoe. Um, so would Stephen King, but in a very different context and way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> more the way you're thinking. Yes. <laughs> um, but, so I'd rather read Stephen King than Shakespeare. But you hey. know, and and and, <clears throat> and then um, reading it in a more spiritual, you know, meditative kind of way uh, to to look at it in all of these different ways in which you you read you interpret and you internalize the word of god and 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 scripture and and to recognize that we kind of have to do there's both informative as well as what i call formational i went in informed yep i would say i was just barely on the cusp of the formational part of it 
and it took you know that the, those those kind of molding and shaping years that were hard. Um, it, let's let's face it, they were they were not easy years. Nope. Uh, and you you frequently would walk out of a class going what what have I done what why am I why did I do this because this just this just completely shook the foundations of of how I've always understood things and um, that can be a really really hard thing to internalize and be able to process. And be able to then come out on the other end going, wow, no, that actually was something that was necessary and that I needed to do. Because when you're in the midst of it, you're kind of just sort of sitting there floating going, I don't get it. So a friend of mine, I commented one time, I said, you know, there's this whole thing that's going on with, quote, deconstructing Mm -hmm. uh, of faith and and, and things like that. Where, you know, the decolonizing, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And someone was like, you know, when did you start? And I said, well, seminary really was where that start, that process started for me because they flat out tell you we're going to tear down your faith so we can build it back up. A friend of mine who was the husband of my best friend in seminary <laughs> replied with, well, from what I remember, there was a lot of tearing down. There was not a whole lot of building up. And I responded with, you know, I understand that perspective and I agree to a certain degree. I said, but at the same time, looking back, I now realize the building up just didn't happen the way we thought it was going to. That's what I was going to say. As you're saying, I'm like, you know, I don't know that I feel that way. Yeah, no. But I think it gave me a richer, deeper understanding of scripture that when I finally, when I got out of seminary and got into actual ministry, it was like, oh, this is why they did this. So, yeah, and I think it's because the the tearing down, the deconstructing hurt. Oh, yeah. Like, like it was the ripping off the band-aid, or or maybe better analogy, it was the actual cut itself. Yeah. And then you don't really feel the healing part. It just happens over time. Right. And it's like anything. Yeah, and that, and that was that was my experience as well. You know, the the tear the, the tearing the tearing down the breaking down the deconstructing whatever word you want to use was like oh man like I, I literally was like what the hell. And you don't really feel the reconstruction because it's not as, I guess it's, I guess the, the, for, at least for me, the reconstruction part was over a longer period of time, um, bless you, um, was a, over a longer period of time, that initial realization of, oh, this is different. That was the hardest part. Once, once I understood that I was going to have to go through this sort of deconstruction part and you kind of come to grips with it. It's not as painful. <laughs> it was still hard, but it was like, okay, this is part of the process. And, and, I, and I was blessed to have a lot of classmates um, and, 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 and some pastors to essentially trust the process. Like, lean into the process because what's at the other end of it is, is transformational, which... Is kind of a biblical thing, right? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> the whole Jesus thing. You know, I actually wrote this in my pastor's report. I actually got a little preachy in my pastor's report this month. 
um, you know, our relationship with Christ, Christianity, our faith is supposed to be transformational. We need a pastor's report this morning. Yeah, we have council meeting tomorrow. Um, Oops. Stuck up. <laughs> I know, it's stuck up. Well, me too. Um, I've been focusing on I'm putting Christmas yeah. Eve well, services so, together. So, cou- so council's a week early because of, the ho- because of Christmas. And it's a, it's a, actually, it's a day and a week earlier, a week and a day earlier this well, month. Well, and it's not a normal meeting, so but, I just didn't really um, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, so I, so, so I got a little preachy that, you know, we focus, we focus so much on the wrong things in church, right? And, and not that, you know, not that money, fi- finances aren't important, and not that butts and the pews aren't important, but ultimately, you know, faith and church and Christianity and, 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 and this whole Jesus journey thing is about transformation. Yep. More than anything else, I mean, it, it's about transformation. You know, and I shared in my report, you know, we've had four people within the last two months use words similar to I'm making faith a priority. And whether it was, hey, I need to rearrange my work schedule, I'm not willing to work on Sundays anymore, or, you know, um, I, you know this, this part of my academics is important to me, um, but so is this, how can I do both? So, I mean, that, that idea that, you know, transformation, that, that's what it's ultimately about. It's ultimately about transformation. And once we, once we kind of lean into that, into that transformation piece, I think then we start to get to this abundant life notion that, that Isaiah kind of talks about. Um, now, I, I kind of walked us through, you know, abundant life and, you know, what we think is abundant. And I think often we think abundance, we think of abundance, we think of, you know, lots of food, you know, lots of... Money. You know, money, you know, lots of, re- lots of resources at our mm-hmm. disposal. That's abundance, but maybe not abundant life. Um, I guess the question is, did Jesus have an abundant life? Because Jesus wasn't rich. No. That was no, Jesus wasn't rich. That wasn't no, Jesus didn't have abundant life, just to be clear. <laughs> I, I, I realized I just answered no. was like, oh, that could be open for interpretation. No, I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, what, what is abundant life? And like, I, I, was, like, I was really digging this week. Um, like I said, I we got we got thrown I got thrown off the horse right. So Tuesday we recorded this on Tuesday morning, not maybe an hour after we get done. Sometimes less. We go and do a tech study for the following week. So <coughs> so last week we go into the tech study. I open my Bible to you know Isaiah fifty five, and there's a title at the top that says "Invitation to Abundant Life," and in the and interest in the interest of absolute <laughs> full disclosure. I could not get away from that. Nope. Um, and I mean, it, I knew it, the minute you 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 it, sat down and you were like, "Oh, what's this?" I was like, "Oh, there's his sermon." <laughs> and I had <laughs> no, I knew where I knew what it was going to be, but I had no idea where it was going. Right. Um, and I was still digging on Saturday morning on this one because I like I I really what does it look like? And I, I think I think it's it's so it's one of those deep questions. What is the meaning of life? Um, not quite that deep, but it's what, what, what makes life abundant. So here's the interesting thing. You know, we have three services. I rarely preach the same sermon three times. Um, I will tell you that Saturday's sermon was much different than, sun, than the two services on Sunday. After worship, we had someone come out 
And so, so in terms of abundant life, to catch those up who didn't, who weren't, aren't part of the, didn't, didn't hear the sermon, you know, I talked about age. You know, is, is number of years, does that make us abundant? Is it income? Is it access to power? Does that bring us abundance? You know, I think we know the answer is no. Um, you know, is it friendships and relationships? Well, I think that's part of it. And ultimately, I led us to kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I had someone come out after worship on Saturday night, and she said, you know, my grandma used to always say, I went back to your grandma's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, grandma's had wisdom. Not all grandma's wisdom is good. Like my grandma would like eat Vicks Vapor Rub and said that that would, that would cure things. And I'm not even going to go into one of my grandmothers. I didn't yeah. know one of my grandmothers. So the one I did know, I, I would not take a lot of her quote wisdom. But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with mine. My grandma had some quirky things. <laughs> um, love you. Uh, but she had some quirks. Has some quirks. Not had, has some quirks. So anyway, this, she said, you know, my grandma always told me gratitude. And I started thinking about it. So then I went home Sunday night or Saturday night and couldn't sleep. You know, you go to sleep and you wake up it's like, man, gratitude, gratitude. Yeah, you know what, there, there's something to that. You know, so can you not have abundance but have gratitude and therefore have an abundant life? I think ultimately that answer is yes. Like, like, I think you have to have basic needs met. Like, if you're starving, it's really hard to feel like you have an abundant life. Like, if you don't feel safe, I feel like it's really hard to have an abundant life. But if you have, again, I hate to like use like the Bible or use like Jesus's words, but you know, the Lord's Prayer doesn't talk about abundance, it talks about enough, like daily bread. And I, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, abundant life is having enough and a spirit of gratitude. And I don't know if that's accurate, but at least maybe I was able to go to sleep on Sunday and go, okay, you know, I, feel, I feel all right about that. And I think there's part of it that is just, you know, being grateful. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, this, this whole notion of transformation and, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts and, and, and how we get yeah. transformed and, and how we begin to understand what abundance and that kind of stuff is. And, and I find it interesting that as this text kind of continues, it's like, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And then goes on to say, my word that goes out shall not return to me empty, yes. but shall accomplish what, it, what I purpose yep. and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So if the purpose, so, so the question is, what is God's purpose here? And, and, God's thoughts and processes of what he wants for us, what he wants transformed within us. What is his word accomplishing? Right. I'm going to go with transformation is a big part of that. A a different way of thinking, a different way of being. And and, and I I love that. I love that verse in this text. My word does not go out empty. So the senior pastor I worked with in Kearney, started every sermon with that quote. Mm. Every single sermon, he, he opened with a prayer. That, and, and that was the prayer that he said was, um, you know, so that the word, words of my mouth um, shall not return to me empty, but accomplish what it purposes. And it, it was... <laughs> I one time... So 
uh, that like like the t- time you had um, uh, COVID in your home. Yep. And you couldn't come. You called me Saturday, and we're like, yep. "Hey, Saturday you, morning. Hey, you're you, preaching tonight. You, you need to preach." Uh, same kind of thing. Only I even had less warning. Um, he gave me a call at seven thirty in the morning for an eight thirty service, saying, "I can't. I'm sick, and there's just no way." Yeah. And. I got after the sermon, and I said, "You know what? I think I need to do Pastor Eric's um, prayer <laughs> that he always does because honestly, it's what I need right now. <laughs> I need yeah. to make sure, you know, that that whatever is coming off the top of my head right now, I really it it needs to be God's word that goes out and says what it needs to say, yeah. and." That is one of those things where it's like if you are not being transformed, if you are not being changed, if your 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 thoughts, your views, whatever, are not um, being altered in some way by by God's word, it, you're not doing it right. It, yeah, it, it it it's it's stagnant. It's not a living faith because God's word is always living and it is active and it is constantly speaking into new situations and in new ways. And I think that's part of the way where when we talk about, I never heard this text this way before. You know, I've heard this text my whole life. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, because it's speaking into a new situation. It's speaking into now you've had different experiences in life. And that's where you mentioned earlier, understanding and recognizing there's a historical context to these texts. Right. Right. And historical does not mean current. Correct. So, there, I mean, there, it does take some interpretation. And I think also the understanding is that it's God's living word, right? It's not, you know, Shakespeare is not God's living word. No. Romeo and Juliet is a story written. It's a story written. It's kind it's- of the same story. It's got some some points and right. and, and and meaning and, and but it's whatnot, not the it's same not as the same thing. it's yeah. not the same as scripture. It's not the same as God's living word. That that is and again, this is one of the baffling things for me still to this day. That that, that this these old thousands of years thousand old. year old thousands of years old texts still speak and are relevant today. Like like think about think about that for a second. Oh yeah, like, I know. Like. Like it's and it's part of that just because humanity doesn't change all that much. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, <laughs> the but, human but, the human condition seems to never. But you're right here. I think this is older. part of the struggle. You know, so so people come into the come into the pews and have been sitting in the pews for you know fifty, sixty years, and they want to hold on to the way they believe that text was when they were in Sunday school sixty was, years ago, yeah. and so much has changed. And they want to, and I understand. And we say, oh, well, God's word doesn't change. Oh, but I disagree. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I completely disagree. Um, because context changes, the world changes, and God, God is steadfast in God's promises to us. But God... God has to speak in new ways yeah. in order to be heard. Um, I guess is kind of the <laughs> the way I look at it is so reading Shakespeare is is hard for me. Me too. Um, thus, reading the King James version of the Bible. Shakespeare and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul in the King James Bible, especially. 
Well, part of what doesn't help with Paul is you're dealing with Greek that has no punctuation, and so you have to add all that in, and it's just all these long run-on sentences. But anyway. Yep. Um, the, the, the notion um, of, of, of language and what ways in which, you know, what kind of images, what kind of things speak to us and I think that's part of why we find certain books of the Bible, I won't mention them by name. You don't want to pay a dollar. Confu- <laughs> confusing is because the images are removed from our time and place. And, and they, they don't have the same meaning or the same impact that they once did. Now, going back and being able to study what those images meant, then it's like, oh... And then we find new ones to say, oh, it's like if it were this. Um, you know, if, if, you know, here's, here's a modern day kind of example that we can. So you need that historical ability to look at what was going on and say, oh, this is what it meant to them. And then be like, oh, but this is how I would apply it today. And this is what it's speaking into today. Not a mere image of what it was then, because history never repeats itself exactly. There are patterns and and things like that, but nothing ever happens in exactly the same way. But we're able to pull on and look at that and say, oh, okay, This, this, this is speaking into this situation in this way. And it can do a couple of different things. It can convict you. Yes. Um, it can offer you hope. It can. So it can it, it can do both the law and the gospel thing, where it can convict you and it can offer you hope, or it can you know it can do both things. It can do them separately depending on where you're at and 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 all all of that kind of stuff. And I think that becomes the issue too for people is recognizing um, where you're at when you hear a certain word. Yep. Um, and what it is going to do to you and how it works on you is going to be very different than how it works on the person sitting next to you. It's a really interesting exercise to either hear a piece of scripture or to hear a sermon and feel a certain way about it, whatever that is. Whether you feel, so let's just use real ba- good or bad, right? I feel good about the sermon. I feel bad about the sermon I just heard. It's a really interesting um, task to go, this sermon made me bad. For whom did this sermon make happy? Right. Right? I'm angry about it because right. of where I sit. Right. But wait a minute, who maybe heard this? Because there's not there's not a there's not a sermon preached anywhere, anytime, any place by anyone whom that does not happen. Yeah. Where people don't hear it differently. And some people so, you know, like it and some so if if you leave the sermon going, Man, that made me feel good. Okay. Who did it not make feel good? So Jesus' parables. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Mark Allen Powell uh, went and kind of did a study, or at least he references the study. I love me some Mark Allen Powell. At least he references the study. I don't know if he did the study himself. Of 
taking certain stories and going into different cultures and asking the different culture what that story is about. Yeah. In particular, they took the prodigal son story. And of course, in America, it's about the ungrateful son who, who you know, is going off and, and uh, squandering everything yes. that, that, that he has. But if you went into Russia and asked the same question, what is this story about? They were like, well, there's a famine. Yeah. And so the, the, the problem in the story is this famine. It's like, what? <laughs> and if you went into Africa, it was, what's the problem in the story? They were like, oh, no one showed him hospitality. Right. You know, he was, he, he, he was broke and he was living with the pigs. And it's no the same was, story. It's the same exact story. And depending on your, your cultural, I want to say indoctrination, yeah. um, your, your cultural shaping, you hear these things very differently. Same story, but not the same ears. Right. So Americans are going to hear it very differently based on what we value. Yep. And, and, and our experiences versus in another country where they have maybe some different values, different experiences, things that, um, you know, make them go, oh, well, there, here's the problem. And, you know, we sit there going, no, that's not the problem. But again, this becomes that how it, it God's word does speak at so many different levels. Yeah. And and recognizing all of those different levels at which it can and does speak to people. And just because you don't hear it that way doesn't mean somebody else doesn't. Yeah. So so can, can we can we do that? Can we can we hear a sermon? Can we hear a text and go, "Okay, this makes me feel uncomfortable." For whom does it provide comfort? Oh. Mm -hmm. Or the flip side, "Hey, this makes me feel comfortable." Okay. For whom does it not make comfortable? And then you have to get past some of your prejudices of yep. the people that maybe it's making feel good or not people that you like. Yeah. And, you know, that there's that reality too. Yep. And, and recognizing that we all have our biases and our prejudices and the people that we think... Um, you know, they need to change or they need to whatever. And this, and, and we don't think they deserve to be comforted. And, and, and that, I think, becomes um, a problematic way in which we, we tend to look at things as well. Agreed. But I think we're about done because my microphone battery is, is red. Is red, which and means dying. it's going to go on to a better yeah. place. So. Anyway, um, so we go into the Gospels, the Gospel of John. We get Jesus. We get Jesus. We but get, we, get we get John's version. We get the Word made flesh. Brought to you by In Keanu. the beginning was the Word. Can we word. have Keanu Reeves guest read our scripture this week? That would be so sweet. I don't know who our readers are this week. I don't think I have his contact information anymore. I don't believe it's going to be Keanu. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can get a, probably get a hold of him anymore. <laughs> Bummer, dude. Sorry about Bummer, that. Bummer, dude. <laughs> There's a bomb on the bus. <laughs> Top. Speed. The movie is Speed. He is actually... Okay, so complete divergence. I know. He's a he's, nice guy. He is said. actually an amazingly intelligent 
nice individual. Yeah. I, I actually have met him. I'm and, sure he is. And, and, and dealt with him. And um, he just all sound. the stereotypes of how he comes off, it's I know. just, they're, they're very unfair. Well, he should read so. the book of... I w- so, you want so, him to read the book of John. I you would, want to read the Gospel of John. Yeah, I'd like Samuel L. Jackson to read the book of Mark. I would like Keanu Reeves to read the book of John, and I have to work on Matthew and Luke. I don't know yet. Well, we have heard Samuel L. Jackson read scripture before, and it's quite interesting. Yeah. So, anyway, um, join us next week as we delve into the opening chapter and verses of the Gospel of John. So, talk to you then. See you next week, dude. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.